0: Instant Reaction Swarmcast, David Eichel, Sean Bach, HawkeyeInsider.com, 24-7 Sports, is Iowa falls 54-10 to to Ohio State in a very, I would say eye-opening game, Sean, but it really seems like week after week we talk about where Iowa's going and is this rock bottom. I think they hit another rock bottom against Ohio State for as disappointing as they were against Illinois offensively. And I, 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 I get it. Ohio State's a lot more talented than Illinois. They have a very talented defense. But, Sean, it was just bad. And it's stuff that you almost can't even script if it was a TV show made about this game, just the way it all unfolded from the first play of scrimmage being an interception, Iowa's defense playing well, especially in that first half, to making the quarterback switch to two of the first three snaps for Alex Padilla being turnovers, I mean, Sean, where do we even start here?
1: Yeah, I mean, we talked about it this week, too. We said that Iowa will give itself a shot if they can compete in the first quarter, keep it a close game, and, you know, do what they need to do on offense. And obviously, the first, the first play of the game, the Peterson interception, didn't really offer a lot of, a lot of optimism. And, I mean, the next couple of drives too, like three plays, three plays, four plays, then you get a 10, then you get a 10-yard or a 10-play drive, and you're like, okay, like maybe there could be something. But then your next couple of plays before half, three, one, six, but it's for 24 yards. Yeah. And the rest of your drives don't go over 35 yards. I mean, there was a drive towards the end of the game where – There was a little bit of hope, but I mean, after that, it's like you're down by 30 points. Like you're not, you're not going to win this game. So Iowa's defense did what it needed to do to keep this, keep this team in the game. And simply, I mean, with Ohio State, as we talked about too, you're not going to hold those guys to 20 points if you're on the field as much as Iowa's defense was. And that's not, I mean, the time of possession, like it's amazing. Ohio State only had. I think maybe a minute thirty-two seconds more with time of possession than Iowa did, but it felt like so much more because it seemed like Ohio State was getting the ball in much better situations for their for their offense to su- su- succeed. And you know, Ohio, oh Iowa's defense did what it needed to do to keep Iowa in the game. They made plays. I mean, Joe Evans forced fumble on the sack to you know, and then took it in for a touchdown, Jack Campbell's interception. I think that was a little bit later in the game, but you know, there were, there were plays that, you know, Iowa made on defense and stops that Iowa did. I mean, I mean, Ohio state had three straight drives. I think they started in their own, their own, uh, or no, they're
0: the first four of seven drives. They were in Iowa territory. And Iowa held them all the field goals, which is pretty amazing considering where they were. I mean, Sean, this without Ohio State, Tennessee are the top two offenses in the country, in, in my opinion, statistically, etc. cetera. Ohio State's average field position to start, you know, for throughout the entire day was on their own 46-yard line. I mean, with all the weapons they have, Iowa's defense can only do so much. I mean, we're talking about a game where Ohio State had 16 drives Well, Sean, they only punted three times. And we're talking about how great this Iowa defense played. But, again, when you look at the situations they were put in, Iowa did a great job. They held them, I think, more than 200 yards under their average. Uh, They held them two very, very, very good running backs, and mine, Williams, and Travion Henderson. They held them to, you know, 30 carries, 66 yards as a team. That's not easy to do. That's incredibly impressive, I think. And they riled C.J. Stroud for a little bit as well, especially early in the game, that big hit. Like you said, Joe Evans, Jack Campbell getting that hit. And Kayvon Merriweather, whose interception was just overturned to, I think, the offsetting penalties. I mean, you you can't ask for anything more than the Iowa defense did today. You you just can't.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, Joel Klatt put put it really well, too, on the broadcast, as he said. I've never felt like a night maybe it was 1910 at that point might have been 1610. I've never felt such a difference in a 1910 game than I've felt in this game. Like Iowa was right in it. Like they were right in that game. Yeah. but you know they you never felt like they were going to win that game or maybe you know make that game more interesting because of the offensive play. And I mean, you got to give credit to Ohio State's defense the way that Jim Knowles has been able to really turn that defensive unit around to a consistent unit. I mean, they haven't really played a very promising offense this year, I would say. So, I mean, maybe that's that's part of it. But I mean, they, they definitely bullied Iowa, Iowa's offensive line for most of the game. And, you know, Iowa's pass protection was was pretty exposed today and you know, that's not a shot at anyone in terms of coaching or anything. I mean, it falls back on execution. But there's so many things, as we talked about before, that go into an offense like Iowa struggling, whether that's, you know, poor pass protection, running games not able to get going. Um, but it starts up front. It really does start up front. And, you know, I think Spencer Petras missed throws that he should have made today. And that was more evident. That was not more evident in the first pass of the game. Um, you know, I mean, Ohio State has really got a good job of disguising coverages and, you know, tricking the the offense into, you know, m- or imposing offenses into making errant throws and, you know, making mistakes. But they were really they were really set back, you know, with some of the things that o- Ohio State was doing. And, you know, you just never really felt that Iowa was going to have much success with any of their offensive drives or no really do anything and you know it's like how how long can that continue like I I think a lot of people were hoping that Alex Padilla would provide a spark but <clears throat> I think a lot of people realize today it's more than a quarterback issue and you know I think Alex Padilla is to to blame for some of his struggles but you know there's so much more that goes into it than just Aaron quarterback play
0: it starts up front you summed it up best it's, it starts up front. The pass protection wasn't great. The run blocking wasn't good. And it's going to be very interesting to see what Iowa does moving forward. I think the Colby at tackle experiment has to end. I know we talked about that a lot early this season and why I thought it was a good long-term fit, but just given where this team's at, I think Colby has to start transitioning back into guard but Sean, here's my thing. You have two weeks to script up plays against Ohio state. And the first play from scrimmage you run is a quarterback rollout to his non-throwing arm. You roll out to left, force Petrus to throw off balance and through right to Ohio state, right to Ohio state. The, the play was dead. It wasn't there. The timing was off. It was a poorly conceived play call. You have two weeks to do that. And it just seemed like you were waiting to see what was going to happen, what was going to go wrong for the Iowa offense next. Remember, Gavin Williams broke off. I think it was a halfback draw, which it was only a good play call because it worked. But then the fumble went out of bounds. And I want to clear up something too the Tory Taylor, the fake punt or whatever, Sean, it, that was not a designed fake punt. Let's be real about that. You could tell just by the way the team was reacting, they did not expect Tory Taylor to take off running. I don't hate the idea behind it, but he had four of Iowa's 12 yards in that first quarter. And we listened to Kirk Ferentz after the game. He was really pushed by media members about Brian, about Brian's position as offensive coordinator, what they're going to do. And I think Kirk made another big error, Sean, in his postgame comments. He talked about I, I've never made a mid season switch to offensive coordinator. I don't anticipate doing that now. I've, you know, we I've been doing this for 24 years and I'd like to think, you know, he basically said I've been successful. Sean, that's the last, people don't want to hear about practice. They don't want to hear about the past success and the, the past success before two years ago, I think would hold some merit. But when you talk about name image and likeness, you talk about the transfer portal, you talk about RPO quarterbacks, Sean, this is the, the, the era we're living in now with college football it's transitioning into a totally different sport faster than anybody could realize. Nick Saban and countless other coaches who have been around the block for a while have adjusted. Kirk right now is staying in his lane, but that also separates the great coaches from the really good coaches. Kirk Ferentz is still a really, really good football coach. This is not an overnight fix, and he said we're going to evaluate things at the end of the season. And where I'll give Kirk credit with that is based on that statement alone. I think he's seriously contemplating changing up the coaching staff. That's not what I'm hearing, but purely speculating, reading within the lines of the comments, it'll be best to evaluate at the end of the year and we'll decide what's best for our football team. And I know people don't want to wait that long and maybe they shouldn't have to, but you got to find some way to do something because seven touchdowns, offensive touchdowns through seven games, you can go back the last 15 games or so, Sean. Iowa's was not been able to move the football I believe Spencer Petrus is three and eight in his last 11 starts. It's simply just not getting it done.
1: Yeah. I mean, Kirk's Kirk's not dumb. I mean, he's probably the smart one of the smartest football minds in college football. He knows, he knows what the issue is. And, you know, he understands what the problems is and are, and, you know, it's, it's easy to say, okay, let's make a change. But I think a lot of people need to realize too, is it takes time to build up some sort of consistency or some sort of, you know, identity. And maybe, I i mean, I know Iowa doesn't really have an identity right now, and people are like, you know, it can't get much worse or anything like that. And I understand that, but I think you saw kind of what happened when Iowa decided to go with Alex Padilla today. I'm not saying that was, you know, similar in some degree, but, you know, sometimes change – you know, right away or change it, you know, the drop of a hat is not always the best thing. And I get it. Like this has been a a cause of concern dating back to last year and, you know, even times before it, but it really seems to be hitting a point where, you know, at what point does it, does it reach the tip? Like when does it reach the edge? Yeah. And, you know, you have five games left against big 10 West teams where I think realistically, your best shot right now is probably six and six.
0: Yeah. Easily. Best
1: case scenario. I, I mean Wisconsin's playing at a high level right now. I know you're playing them at home. Purdue, I mean, that could be either way, but you're going to Purdue. Minnesota, um, you know, they've had their faults this year, but they're their potent football team. I mean, the only like real like should wins that I see are Nebraska and Northwestern, but even Nebraska has shown signs
0: of life. Nebraska is a suspect to me as far as Iowa's I mean yeah. I'd probably pick Nebraska tomorrow, Sean, if they were gonna play. I, I at least they think they can move the football and Nebraska's defense is not good, but Iowa's offense is worse at this point. Like I I trust almost any defense in this country to stop Iowa's offense right now. Just yeah. based on what we've seen. So this this begs the question and it's not gonna happen. I'll be shocked if this happens. Do you throw in Joey Labus, at quarterback?
1: I mean, I I to see how like hesitant they were to throw in Spencer Peters today, I don't know if that's that's something you can do. Um
0: Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th.
1: The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts.
0: All the best from Big Beats. Yeah, at, least, at least you'd have a week to prepare him as the starter versus just throwing him in. And I think the other thing too, Sean, and this is something where, you know, people who wanted Padilla, you know, the Brian, what's the upside comment, et cetera. That was a bad time to make a quarterback switch. I mean, okay, let me rephrase that. Of the possible opportunities this season to potentially make a quarterback switch, that was the most poorly timed quarterback switch. You could have done it after Iowa State and had let Padilla go play against Nevada, right? You maybe could have done it at Rutgers. Michigan, at least, are in the home crowd. But you're down 16 in the horseshoe to what I think is the number one team in the country. And Alex Padilla has never taken a snap from Logan Jones in the game setting. And that's why I think there were issues. And Alex said after, you know, after the game that it does rely on him and that shouldn't happen. It's inexcusable and he has to be better. But, again, when you look at the situations throughout this season, Sean, they should have – if they were going to at least give Padilla a shot, they have to set him up for success. They did not set him up for success throwing him in that game today. But I will give them this credit. Petrus could not drop back out there. He, he, he just couldn't after that first half. I mean, with the way things were going, I think Ohio State's defense is good. I also think Iowa's offense right now is that bad. And when you look at this Iowa offense, Sean, it's really tough to find positives. And this might be the first time I'm, I'm saying this. I don't know. I don't think there are any fixes with this offense this season. I I don't know what you can change right now. If the line cannot continue to block at a consistent level, if your wide receivers aren't even being looked at, because the big thing that I noticed today, Sean, we haven't touched on both quarterbacks were locking in a one receiver. I mean, there were multiple plays where Nico Reganey is open down the field. Arlen Bruce is open down the field and you saw them in the camera, Sean, they were pissed off. They weren't getting the ball. I mean, they were wide open for 20, 25 yard gains and they're throwing their hands up in the air when the ball wasn't, throwing their way, and you can't really blame them at this point. I really don't think you can.
1: This, to me, I texted a couple of my buddies this who are pretty big Iowa fans. I This, this game felt like to me kind of the – I mean, I know it's Ohio State, you know, tough opponent to put up against. I mean, you look at the opponents that Padilla played last year. Northwestern, who was not very good. Um, I believe Illinois was one of those teams too. and Minnesota, Minnesota was his best game. and they started against the yeah,
0: two touchdowns. yep.
1: You know, I mean, maybe he's the short term answer, but I mean, obviously we didn't see that on on Saturday or today, but this game felt like to me, I know, like I said before, like I've backed Spencer Peters. So I think, you know, I think you give the offensive line another year with the guys that they have on, because I think it takes more than a year to build an offensive line, especially with the inexperience that they have.
0: Yes. Up
1: front. And this feels like the year to this felt like the game to me where there's no doubt in my mind that you have to bring in someone that can compete. For the starting job next year at quarterback yeah. with Spencer Petrus, if he decides to come back, and with Alex Padilla, if he decides to come back. This one felt like the tipping point. You know, I I think I had the leash a little bit longer with Petrus than others. I mean, probably a lot more longer. And I understand like the injuries at wide receiver have not, you know, you couldn't avoid those. And I think that's another position where Iowa needs to attack to this off season, But this feels like the game where iowa is like okay like you know they've probably been thinking about it but this feels like the game where it's like okay we need to get a few difference makers in this offense to you know get things together i mean like i said it starts up front that's where it's most important it starts up front but we need to get at least one or two or three guys the quarterback included that Could come in and make a big impact for us in 2023. And 2022, it's still not over. But at this point, it's like, what are you going to do?
0: I mean, Sean, with all due respect to you know Kirk Ferentz and, and the Iowa football team. By the way, when we talk about the players and stuff, like this is nothing to do with them as people. I was strictly talking on field performance because I know emotions are very high right now. I want to make sure that's that's clear. But let's take a step back, Sean. This offseason, it's going to be a legacy one for Kirk Ferentz. He's going to have to really do some soul searching because I said before the season, if Iowa did not win the Big Ten West, it's a failure of a season. And I still stand by that. I mean, you look at how bad the Big Ten West is this year. You look at the pieces that Iowa had returned. And, you know, Sean, to put just bluntly, Iowa's wasting an all-time great defense for Iowa. They're not turning, they're not getting a bunch of interceptions, but they are so good. I mean, what they what they've done this season has been pretty phenomenal. And I've never seen a defense feel more pressured to score points than this Iowa defense. I mean, you can just almost watch them on the field. And again, not to speculate too much, but you know there's tension in the locker room between the offense and defense. I mean, you've been around high-level athletics for Know a year, Sean. I have as well. I mean, these guys are competitive. They want to win. They may love each other, but there's tension. There, there's no chance. There's not. And I want to get back to the Kirk Ferentz thing. In 2014, Kirk Ferentz, a lot of people wanted him fired. He went four and eight. Responded by changing a few things. Went 12 and 0. He doesn't have to do that, but there is some serious soul searching he's going to have to do if he wants to finish off on a high note during his Iowa tenure. Because right now, it's looking pretty close to the end of the, like the Hayden Fry era. I mean, Hayden Fry went three and eight in his final season. I'm not saying Kirk's thing about step. I'm not saying any of that, but from a result standpoint and where the team's at standpoint, Kirk's going to have to make some major changes this off. Iowa could win out. And I still to say the same thing because with the way of college football is trending, Iowa right now looks not just a decade behind. They look a century behind schematically and philosophy wise. And like you mentioned, Iowa has to hit the portal for a quarterback. They have to land two wide receivers, especially since they're not recruiting them at a high level right now. And, I mean, not high level, but a high number of them through the high school ranks, and they need some immediate contributors. But guess what? The only way you're going to get wide receivers come to Iowa is if you change your philosophy, you change the schematics. This is going to be on the field, on the field, not the to- excluding 2020 the biggest offseason of Kirk Ferentz's career, maybe outside 2014.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I don't I don't disagree with you. And if they if they win out, I mean that's fine and dandy. I mean winning does change like winning solves so many issues. It's absolutely ridiculous how much winning could help. But I mean you mentioned it too. Like if they if they rock out and like absolutely do you know, the unimaginable with offense to close out the year, which I don't see them doing at this point, then you could maybe make a case for okay, maybe we'll play out how next season could go. Maybe we can end the off season. But I mean, I don't disagree with you. I, I I think there should be some evaluation after the year with how things look offensively. And I think portal wise too. I mean, I mentioned I think that's gonna be the ticket. I mean, you don't one one person is not one piece of the puzzle is not going to change everything. You have to Mm have pieces around it. And, you know, Iowa knows that as well as anyone that they like to rely on the pieces that they have around. And, you know, I think that's going to be important with the improvement side. But, yeah, I mean, as far as offseason goes, this is going to be one of those ones where, you know, I'm really interested to see what happens. Like I said, I mean, it's crazy to believe that, you know, there's – five games left like that feels like so much but it also feels like so little because really what improvement have we seen in areas where iowa has not been overly like at this point it's like you want you a team is what a team is right now
0: uh, Yep, yeah, thousand percent agree
1: so i is a not a good offensive team and a very good defensive team i think their defense can carry them to victories over northwestern nebraska but those other three games, Wisconsin, Michigan, Purdue, that's not going to be the case. So,
0: Sean, what wins your games in modern College football? It used to be defense. It's offense now. It's it's high-level passing. It's great running backs. And it's reliable defenses. Look at every championship team over the past decade. That's been the formula. And, you know, if Iowa somehow balled out for the final five games this season, put up 35, 40 points a game. Again, this is not going to happen. But hypothetically, the narrative isn't, okay, we should keep these guys, you know, the coaches and all the players and see how they can build upon next year. The storyline and the narrative from the public is going to be, wow, I can't believe we wait. Where was this the first seven games of the season? Imagine where Iowa could have been had they changed the things that they changed for the final five games, if they changed it earlier in the season. That's going to be the storyline. And it also goes back to what we talked about, I think, last week, or at least during our bye week, Sean. You could argue that Iowa should have made changes to the coaching staff last year following the 10 wins with with the way the statistics were. And right now, again, it's going to be a very big soul-searching offseason for Kirk Ferentz. I'm very curious how he's going to keep the locker room together. I'm curious how they're going to fire up receivers to go out and do their very best when they aren't getting the ball. And it, it's so many question marks. Sean, there's so many storylines just going in the final five games of the season, maybe six if Iowa somehow makes a bowl game in the offseason. But the bottom line is this. It seems like Iowa's continuing to hit a new rock bottom because they continue to waste away a championship-level defense and a very good Iowa special teams. not great right now, but it's very good. It's not a bad unit. LeVar Woods has still done a nice job. I think Caleb Johnson has shown flashes of being a really good kickoff kick returner as well. So, I mean, there are some positive things. Jack Campbell is playing on all all American level. Cooper Dejean, I think really guys first. Okay. These are the level uh, receivers. I'm going to play if I want to get to the NFL. I also don't think he had a bad day. He had a couple of really nice pass breakups, but I'm thinking specifically on a couple of those deeper passes, the way he was challenged, but Yeah, Sean. I mean, I I think right now the temperature is at an all-time high uh, for the Iowa fan base. And I think it's only – I think it'd be lower if Iowa's defense is bad as well. But I think because people see a championship level defense, I think that's only up the angst and the animosity from Iowa fans because they're saying we are being dragged down by an offense under an offensive coordinator that's never finished higher than I believe 88 in total offense. I mean – You and I have talked about this, Sean. If Iowa has a below-average offense this year, they're probably 5-2 and at this point and on pace to potentially win the Big Ten West.
1: Yeah, I mean, if they scored one more touchdown or two more touchdowns this year, like Iowa State, Illinois, they're 5-2, and and, you know, they're right up there with the teams at the top of the Big Ten West right now. So, yeah, you know, a lot of what-ifs, I think, uh, coming into the year that, I mean, people expected Iowa or Michigan and Ohio state to be losses, but I think the way that Iowa lost in both of those games makes it stay even more. And you mentioned it too. I mean, I don't think there'd be as many tensions if the defense wasn't as spectacular as it it is, you know, the offense is the reason why this team has been so poor or so underwhelming this year. And, you know, you can't really argue that, you know, like, I mean, we said it so many times, there's not one reason to blame, yeah. but it just seems like every single situation, there's something different that pops up and it's frustrating. I mean, you see some of the frustration on the field sometimes too. It's, it's evident. So I, I don't know.
0: I, I thought you brought up a very interesting, I don't know if it's a hypothetical question, Sean, but I want to pose it right back at you. Where is Iowa grown offensively this year?
1: I mean, you could say Lucas Shea's been a bright spot sure. at times. Sure. Um, I think Caleb Johnson had some nice runs. Yep. But you know, he's a true freshman.
0: Um. Well, exactly. It's like we can't really base now. Now again, I'm not saying not individual players have improved. Yeah. I'm saying what part of the offense can you tangibly say is improved? Whether it be the O line, receivers, Petris, et cetera.
1: Yeah, I mean, Petrus has had moments, but. It's against Nevada and Rutgers, and I think Rutgers was losing pretty bad to Indiana earlier today.
0: They did come back and win,
1: but they did come back and win. There we go.
0: But uh I mean, I think that's the most troubling thing. Kirk has been talking about improvement, and they got to improve quicker. Sean, they got to improve it all. I mean, Iowa hasn't scored an offensive touchdown since the fourth quarter against Michigan. And I know it seems like we're beating a dead horse here, but this is this is the glaring thing that's haunting Iowa football right now. It can't be ignored. It has to continue to be talked about and how they can make strides. I think after this season, I'm very interested in, in the sense that I'm very interested to see what Iowa remains, what they change, and ultimately the personnel. And again, I'm not speculating on individual players transferring or anything of that sort. So I want to make sure that's clear. But with free transfers, I'm I'm very curious to see who sticks. Let's put it that way. So any final note, Sean? I feel like we, we've pretty much – I know we haven't really gone in-depth on this game, but – there's much larger picture things to talk about after, after Kirk's comments and just basically what we saw.
1: Yeah. I mean, not, not too many. I mean, like we said, it's kind of what we expected, but now that it kind of comes to light and the way it happened makes it even more, you know, frustrating in a sense, if you're a fan or if you know you're someone involved with the Iowa football program, because I mean, Defense has to know that they're doing their job and doing it really well. But it's just like the offense, there needs to be some sort of positive momentum. If there's not any positive momentum going into these final five games, then, yeah, that would be, it's going to be
0: interesting. It's. Yeah, I'm with you. I think Iowa enters a very critical week. I think that if you're looking for a week where Iowa can break out and change the course of the season, I don't think there's any more of those chances remaining. But I do think that they can, they're can. they entering a week with a very winnable game against Northwestern, who has really struggled this year. And if I – okay, let me rephrase this. If Iowa wants to make a bowl game, they have to beat Northwestern. If they do not beat Northwestern, I am 100% <clears> – <throat> in the, in the camp that I was not making a bowl game. Cause I just, I don't see how they beat three of those final four teams, Wisconsin, Purdue, Minnesota, Nebraska. I just, I don't see a plausible path to doing so, but we got plenty of post-game coverage at hawkeyeinsider.com. That's going to continue uh, tomorrow as well on Sunday. I'll do my day after recap and, and everything of that sort. Sean, I know has posted some stuff about Iowa basketball secret scrimmage and all everything else running Iowa Hawkeyes. So be sure to stay tuned to HawkeyeInsider.com for that. But for David Eicholt, Sean Bach, follow us on Twitter at David Eichel, at SBach247, and at Hawkeyes on 24-7. Until then, we'll talk to you early next week as Iowa prepares to get back on the right track against Northwestern